Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the Word. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the parable of the shrewd manager. The parable of the shrewd manager. We're going to be continuing our parables series here tonight, and I'm excited about sharing with you. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus told the story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Bad news. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. I love that. Dishonest rascal. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. So here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large things. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. And if you are trustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who love their money who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Now, this is a weird parable, and honestly one that I've never taught on before, Um, mainly because it's strange. (laughs) Um, And it's often one that is misinterpreted, even passed over, Uh, one that's maybe a little bit harder to discern what's happening because there are no heroes in this parable. Uh, Luke 15, the one right before this, you had the shepherd, you had the lady who finds the lost coin, you had the father who welcomed the son home, but in this parable, there are no heroes in the story. Um, These are all bad men. These, none of these guys are good in this. And, and, and so looking at this, we just got to understand that the, the key to parables is finding the main point. And it can be a little bit tougher to find the main point because there's not any role models in this one. So in this, ultimately, what is Jesus trying to tell us? And from the get-go, I'll just let you know, Jesus is trying to tell us, store up tre- treasures in heaven, use your money, your resources faithfully and wisely. He's encouraging us to use our finances for the good of others and the kingdom of God. And not to be shrewd in a negative sense, but in a wise sense, to be shrewd basically means to be sharp in practical matters. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus told his disciples to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. 
We're to be wise in building our faith, but also be, be generous in sharing our wealth. He's telling us to gain friends in heavenly places, that we're to make wise use of our financial opportunities that we have so that like, God doesn't just bless us to, just for the heck of it. He blesses us so that we can then be a blessing to other people. That's the whole point. Like he gives us so that we can show his goodness to the world. And, and, and not to, we're, we're to be wise with our resources, not to earn heaven, but to actually use money as a tool to help people find Christ, to help people come to him. And if we use our money to help others in need or to help others come to him, Jesus is saying that we're using our earthly investments to bring about eternal benefits. What an incredible way to use money as believers. When we obey God's will, unselfishly, when we use our possessions for his glory, it draws people to it. And that's the whole thing. It's like we've got to, we've got to see money as not just something physical, but money is something spiritual. And we've got to see it as a tool for God's kingdom to bring people into it. We can use, I believe Jesus is teaching us in this parable that we can use our resources and our wealth to show the goodness of God. Now, one of the biggest things I want us to see in this parable t- tonight and that we need to imply with our own life is, what, is why did the master commend the shrewd man? Why did, why did he, <clears throat> why did he uh, compliment him? Why did he admire him for doing these things? Well, it's because he comes in and then he says, he, he finds out this bad thing's gonna happen. So he says, what, what am I gonna do? Now what? I'm gonna be fired. What can I do to take care of myself? I'm too proud to beg. I'm too, I'm too weak to dig. Like I can't dig ditches. Like what am I gonna do? And, and it, it, it's interesting, the plan that he comes up with, the guy says like, it's a pretty sharp plan. And, if, and Jesus is showing like, if this is the wisdom that the world comes up with, what, what greater access do we have to wisdom because we're believers who follow God, who in James 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask. And so like we can get heavenly wisdom. Uh, James chapter one, verse five says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded man and unstable in all that they do. And so we, we have this ability that we can come in and when we're, when we're singly focused on God and we want to do what he's, call, like what he's called us to do and we don't doubt, like, Lord, I need wisdom, like he'll give us wisdom. This shrewd manager, like the thing that we need to learn from him right now from the youngest to the oldest in the room is look ahead. Like, look to the future with your finances. And again, like, I don't care if you're in high school or if you're retired, look ahead with your money. That's a good point, Josh. That's how God wants us to use our money. Like, in Proverbs, it says that it's a wise man who leaves an inheritance for his children's children. (laughs) This man prepared for himself, for his family. He had foresight. He prepared for the future. And listen, I believe that believers, our whole theme this year is the kingdom of God. We are to be the lender and not the borrower. The scripture says that the borrower is slave to the lender. We are not meant to live as slaves. We are meant to be ones who are lenders. And and, and listen, I think sometimes our view of finances as believers is too small because sometimes our view of finances as believers is we're just praying that God, that we can pay off our mortgage. But friend, I want you to know tonight, God wants you to not only pay off your mortgage, but he wants you to come into resources where you can pay off other people's mortgages. God bless you. That's awesome. Do you know what 
what kind of, an inc- if we step into those resources, how, what an amazing gift that would be, what an amazing blessing that would be, what an incredible way to show the goodness of God that you can step into resources to pay off somebody's house. Come on. Think about how big of a blessing that our church could be to the community if we were shrewd in the way that we looked ahead into the future. That's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. <clears throat> and if we got, and, and, and if we got like the storehouse principle that we see with Joseph in the Old Testament where he stored up for the seven year, hard years that were coming, like we, we've got to store up some nuts for the winter because times could be good, but times also could be bad. And so when things are good, Jesus is showing us don't blow it all on temporal things, but store it up because hard times might be coming and you need to prepare for when times are bad. And listen, we need to so prepare for when times are bad for those who didn't prepare when times were bad that we can show the goodness of God. And so that when people cry out to him and they need something to eat, that God can use his church to feed them. Man, this is good stuff. (laughs) But sometimes we lack Sometimes we lack foresight because, and I'm going to step on your toes a little bit, sometimes we lack foresight because we thought the rapture is going to happen every single day since 1988. And it's 2022 and you're still here. Right? So what if the rapture doesn't happen until 5,088? Will you be a wise man who leaves an inheritance for his children's children? Or what would be like Hezekiah in the Old Testament where God extended his life by 15 years, but he said, all these bad things are going to happen. And he says, when are they going to happen? He says, it's going to happen to your sons. And he says, oh, well, thank God it's not going to happen while I'm on this earth. What a sad way to look for the next generation. But will we be a church who leaves an inheritance for its children's children? Come on. <laughs> here's, listen, here's my opinion on Jesus returning. You can think about whatever you want to think about for the rapture, but here's my opinion. Live life like you're staying. And you won't, listen, if you, and I'm not saying like the rapture comes and that you get left behind. What I'm saying is live life like it's not going to happen in your lifetime. And it's not going to happen in the next generation's lifetime. And it's not going to happen in the next generation's lifetime. Because if you live like, if you live like you're leaving tomorrow, you won't be ready to stay. Does that make sense? If you live like you're leaving tomorrow, you won't be ready to stay. But if you live like you're staying, you'll always be ready to leave. And listen, we can disagree on this stuff. It's not a big deal. If I'm wrong, guess what? I'm going with you. You're going to have to put up with me anyway. We can high five Jesus on the way up together, right? (laughs) But if I'm not wrong, I want to be shrewd with my resources. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> and listen, sometimes it, takes more fa- sometimes it takes more faith to have a storehouse than it does to give it all away. Hear that. Sometimes it takes more faith to store it all than it does to give it all away. Because, what, because if I store it all, God, what's going to happen to all this when I die? It's mine. I might as well spend it anyway. Well, maybe he's wanting to use it past your lifetime. Maybe. <laughs> and he's saying, don't worry about it. Worry about heavenly treasures. Jesus uses this parable to show us that worldly people are often more shrewd, more forward-looking than people on whom the light has been shining. This man was simply a steward. This money that he collected did not belong to him. This money that he was managing did not belong to him. He was mishandling his master's money. Jesus is also showing us that we are not owners of any of this. We are simply stewards of what he's given us. 
Like, and so people get so caught up, they, they get so caught up and so offended and so mad when you start talking about tithing. I'm like, man, tithe, like 10%, it's all his anyway. Right? We get so like, well, this is mine and this is my money, so whatever. Is it really? Or are you just stewarding what God has given to you? See, we've got to change the way that we view wealth. We are merely stewards of what God has given us. The right way to see wealth is we don't own any of it. We're merely managing it on his behalf. This should increase the urgency of stewarding it well. Because when you see it as God's, how much better are you going to steward it than you see it as yours? Like, take for example, if I borrowed Pastor Tim's truck to move some stuff or to drive around or whatever, say my truck broke down, if I drive Pastor Tim's truck, that I am going to take pristine care of that thing. Number one, because he's going to kill me if I don't. But, but number two, like, it, like I have such a high honor and a high love for Tim. Like I actually want to, I want to return his truck better to him than I found it. You know, and just simple practical advice, if you ever borrow anybody's vehicle, return it better than you found it. Return it with the gas tank filled up. Like that's how, you know, some home training for you. <clears throat> if you ever house it for someone, if you ever whatever, like, like return, return things better than you found them. And that's what God is calling us to do with what he has given us is return them better than we found them. God has blessed us with what we have and so we should steward over it better <clears throat> than if it was owned ourselves. And, and, and listen, we're gonna have to give an account for what we did, for what we did with what he's given. You're not gonna have to give an account one day to God because of your sins because those are forgiven, but you are gonna have to give an account for what he's given you. Don't believe me? 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.12, both say it. <laughs> and if we're faithful stewards, there's, if we are faithful stewards, there's a generous reward in heaven. Scripture is very clear that God is a God of reward, and there are generous, generous rewards that he has stored up for us. Now, here in uh, Luke 16, it's, all, it's, it's beginning to talk about stewardship, but it's actually interesting when you go back to chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son, that was all, a lot of that was about stewardship. And the manager here was like the prodigal son. He was wasteful with what he had been given. And, and even the older brother misused the wealth because he didn't understand what he had been given. And the older brother viewed it the wrong way. The older brother viewed stewardship as slavery when we're actually supposed to view stewardship as sonship. I'm doing this for my father. I'm not doing this for a taskmaster. How much more and how much more amazing and grateful I am that I get to do this for him. Not that I'm doing it to earn his love or to not get, you know, to not get beat on the back, but I'm doing this because he, he gave me this. Do you know me? God, you gave me this. Are you kidding me? This is incredible. What if we viewed life that way? God wants to bless his children. God wants to bless us enough to do something. He doesn't, he wants to bless us enough to do something. He doesn't bless us so that we can do nothing. Does that make sense? God blesses us so that we can do something. He doesn't bless us so that we can do nothing. God has given us this life and now he wants us to do something with it. He wants us to co-labor with him. It's all stewardship and it's a joyful stewardship. I'm stewarding my wealth, I'm stewarding my family, I'm stewarding my church, I'm stewarding my land, I'm stewarding my nation. And it's, it's a joyful thing. We are saved unto, unto good works. Like we get to do these things. 
It's not like I have to, like a drudge. Like if you think it's like, oh, like I have to do this for him. Like that's not, you don't understand your salvation because your salvation is adoption. It's not slavery. And it's wild in this parable too, because this man, he gives huge discounts. Like how many barrels of oil did you? 800, knock it down to 400. Are you kidding me? Like that's wild. And this guy didn't have the authority to do that. What he was trying to do is he was trying to make friends. Because I'm fired and I need somebody to take care of me. I need somebody to welcome me in. But legit, like this dude was not, that was three years wages that he knocked off of that guy's bill. Heck yeah. I mean, if somebody came and did that to me on my debt, like you're my new best friend, bro. Heck yeah, I'm going I'm to welcome you in. And, and, and the master sees like, you, you rascal. Like you, you, you rat. Like it, the, the master might not have agreed with it, but he saw what the guy was doing and he commended him. He admired him for doing this. Now, in this story, I want us to see that Jesus is not the master in this story. Um, he's, not, he's not the one saying this. It, the master is obviously not saying that the manager did a great job in reducing the income, but he's praising him for acting wisely and with insight. He's basically saying, like, you little rascal, like, you really worked out something nice for yourself. But Jesus clearly states that the manager is unrighteous. He's not suggesting believers follow, follow this man's path of unrighteous behavior the, the story is an example of prudence, not methods. It's an example of wisdom, not the method that he went to. But what he's showing is, he says, like the sons of this world, the sons of this age, they're more shrewd in dealing with their wealth. And what he's, what he's showing us is that it shouldn't be that way. Those who are children of the light should be more wise with the wealth that they have. And he says, like, man, what if, what if, what if we were just as shrewd about the things of heaven, about the things of the kingdom, as worldly men are about their wealth. What would happen? What would be possible? <clears throat> we need to live with eternity's values and view. The dishonest manager had come face to face with reality. Uh, and he, he refused to have his head in the sand. Like he actually went and did something about it. In contrast, many times, sons of light, Jesus is showing us, Sometimes we stand on the edge of eternity, but we lack vision and we lack foresight and we lack the strength to do anything about it. What if Christians showed just as much attention to the thing that concerned eternity as they do their worldly business? If only we were spiritually shrewd as the corrupt manager was about his temporal pursuits. This is what Jesus is trying to show us. And oftentimes in scripture, God can use not great things, evil things even, that are familiar to us to illustrate a particular point. Paul does this with slavery in the New Testament, but he's not, he's not praising slavery, and just like this guy's not praising um, this guy's dishonesty, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to show us that, that this guy knew he was going to have to give an account, and he took that seriously. Listen to me, everybody in here. Do you take an account seriously that you are going to stand before God one day? Do we take that as seriously as this guy took it that he had to stand before and then the next thing, Jesus is showing, he took advantage of the position that he was in. Are we taking advantage of the position that God has put us in right now? If we pursue the kingdom of God with the same vigor and zeal that the children of this world pursue, their profits and their pleasure, we would probably live in an entirely different world. Now, <laughs> there are about, there's about 40 parables total, 40 parables round about a third of them, Jesus teaches about money. A third of them. Do you know that Jesus talks more about money, listen to me, in the New Testament than he does heaven and hell combined? 
it might be important. If Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined, it might be important. This entire chapter, even past this, we're not going to get into the rich man and Lazarus tonight, but even past this, the entire chapter is about the way that we view wealth. So let's talk about money. Money is one of those things everybody gets quiet about when you talk about in church, right? Money and sex. Two things that, that make the church quiet. You hear a pin drop. This is two things everybody wants. Right? But you got to sit there and act like you don't want it. Maybe we should talk about it, though, because money and sex are the two number one causes of divorce. Maybe we should have been talking about it more. Let's talk about money. We have to because Jesus talked about it a lot. So we need to talk about it a lot. And, and listen, like we're, you know, we're all singing. We sing, what's that song? That uh, uh, Jira. Yeah, like Luke is up here shaking his hair like he always does, like singing Jira. I can't, I, it just, like when I do that, just imagine that, that fluffy hair just bouncing back and forth while he's up here singing. So Brandon doesn't have that same anointing with the hair flowing around, but he's still, <laughs> he's still pretty good. We're always singing about Jira until we don't have enough money. Right? We sing about Jira until gas prices hit $4 a gallon. Mm. The moment we start running low on money, sometimes we can freak out. We get anxious. Our hearts get clouded. Hmm. But let me write you a check. Build your dream house. Pay off all your debt. You'll be dancing around this room singing Jira. <laughs> Oftentimes we're controlled by fear of not having enough money. Right? We had peace when gas prices are low. Where's your peace at now? Who sits on the throne of your heart? See, it's a clear indicator when the, well, when the stock market's doing this and when my savings is doing this and when the interest rates are doing this and when the used car prices are doing this and when the, what's going to happen? I don't know, but God's got it. He's not going to let his children go hungry. Right? Where's your peace now? Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want to read this real quick. Y'all with me? I know it's Wednesday night. Tired. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19 says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Here he says this again uh, that we just read in Luke 16. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus uses money a lot to teach about eternity. He uses money a lot to teach us about faith. And what Jesus is showing us is what we do with our money, how we think about our money, how we worry about our money, how anxious you are about your money will tell you a lot about where you're at in the arena of faith. And what he says, if your eyes are bad, what he's talking about here is if your eyes are focused on money, if your treasure is found in worldly wealth, the light cannot fill where the darkness has been allowed to stay. That's essentially what he's saying here. Money, Jesus is showing us, is a witness to where your heart is at. 
The way that you view money, not how much money that you have. The way that you view money is a witness to where your heart is at. And if you think that all your problems can be solved with a check, you might have a different master than you think. Why? Because all more money equals is more problems. More money means more responsibility. More money means more taxes. <laughs> is it not true? You make more money, you got more responsibilities. Like, it made me sick how much money I had to pay the government this year. But who sits on the throne of my heart? Who provides food for me? Is it my paycheck? See, do, am I striving? Am I serving money or is money serving me? Is money a tool that God is using to put food on my table and to pay my bills? An obsession with money can cloud the heart, even so much so that Jesus tells his disciples one time it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> he said it, not me. But what's wild is the disciples who wouldn't have been very wealthy, they, 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 there was such weight to what Jesus said that they said, well, how can anybody be saved then, Lord? And he said, well, what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. See, we have to have a repentance when it comes to the way that we view wealth. You can, listen, you can be extremely wealthy and have little money. And you can be, an extreme, you can be extremely impoverished and have lots of money. See, it's not about how much you have in your account. It's about the way that you view it. And it's interesting that he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Does that make sense? He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is, because your heart will always follow what you treasure. Well, how do you know what you treasure? You gotta think about this in more than just money. You'll see what you treasure by how you spend your time. What's, what's more valuable, time or money? Ask somebody on their deathbed. What's more valuable, time or money? Would you rather have a million dollars or 10 extra years? And listen, it's much easier to give 10% of your money than it is 10% of your time. It's a lot easier to write that check and drop it in the basket than it is to give 10% of your time to God. You know you can tithe and your heart can be far from the Lord? All through scripture, the prophets, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one. He's like, I hate your offerings. I hate your worship services. I hate what you say. <laughs> You're doing all these things that look right, but your hearts are far from me. It's easy to give 10% of your money. Case in point, the Pharisees, they tithed on everything, but their hearts were far from the Lord. And listen, it, it, you think about that, 10% of your time. What's 10% of your day? 2.4 hours? If we gave God 10% of our day, I bet we would give a lot more than 10% of our money. Oof, it got so quiet in here. I started talking about money. Golly. I'm not trying, and listen, I'm not trying to create some like legalistic standard with how much, how much time that you give to the Lord. I'm just showing you what's most valuable 
I'm showing you how to change your heart, especially in the area concerning money. If you want to have a heart change, change where your treasure is. If you want to change what your treasure is, change where you spend your time. How much time do you spend in this? How much time do you spend in prayer? Listen, I promise you, the more time that you spend in this and the more time that you spend in prayer, that 10% don't look like a whole lot. Because God begins to change your heart and go, how much more can I give? Who else can I bless? How much can I give away, Lord? How much do you want me to give away, Lord? And listen, 10% is awesome. 10% is biblical. The, the tithe is pre-law. I don't know if you know that or not. The tithe is pre-law. Abraham started giving 10% to Melchizedek. It's pre-law. And then Malachi 3.10, God says, test me in the tithe. And will I not open windows of heaven? And when he says open windows of heaven, and, and it says rain down blessings, it's the same word used to describe when it began to, when the, when the heavens opened and rain began to fall that flooded the earth. Well, I can't afford to give 10%. You can't afford not to. Oh, you're just talking about money. You just need pay raise. You just need all this down here at this church and all this stuff. Listen, we'll be fine without your 10%. God bless you. It, we, when we talk about the tithe up here, it ain't for us, it's for you. We want the windows of heaven on your life. And it says when you give 10, and Malachi says when you give 10%, the devourer is rebuked off of your life. It, 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 like when you give 10%, it's a spiritual, it is a spiritual law, a spiritual principle. When you give 10%, it rebukes the demonic off of your money. And God begins then to stretch it. I remember when Sarah and I first got this, first got this down, we would give 10%. And there was no way it looked like we were going to be able to pay our bills if we gave 10%. But when we didn't give 10% to pay our bills, we couldn't make a dollar last for nothing. But when we started giving 10%, it's like it got supernaturally met every single week. Come on. Hmm. If you cannot... <laughs> I'm going to say this. This is a bold statement here. You cannot handle, you cannot live in, you cannot advance the kingdom of God if you're anxious about your money. Why? Because if you're anxious about your money, it means that it's ruling your heart. It is hard, really hard, probably impossible to obey God if you're anxious about your money. Why? Because your anxiety... Your anxiety is not about your money. It's a lordship issue. It's a lordship issue. All of your money issues are actually trust problems. If you have trust issues, you can have all the money in the world and still be poor. Well, let's just ask a practical question. Are you materialistic? Are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? Do you feel like the home that you live in or the car that you drive is a direct reflection of your value? Because, friend, it's not. It's not a reflection of your value. If you can't reach the place of, Lord, I'll be okay with this house the rest of my life. I'll be okay with this square footage the rest of my life. You will never receive the inheritance that God designed for you to receive. There's breakthrough when you be begin to become content with what he's given you. There's breakthrough there. In order for a new house to be a blessing, it's got to be a gift, a gift rather than strive for we just built a new house. We just moved in. And, and, listen, and lots of people, when we talk about building a house, lots of people said, man, it's going to test your marriage. Get ready. 
going to test your marriage. Nothing tests your marriage like building a house. My marriage wasn't tested one time. My patience was tested, but not with my wife. My patience was tested with people that don't show up to work. Or they do the wrong thing or whatever, you know. <laughs> my patience was tested living in a 700-square-foot trailer with one bathroom and four kids. That tested my patience, but my patience was never tested with my wife. But why? Because we were in rest with where we lived before we built the house. And listen, I, it, it's permissible to dream for the big house and the garage and the yard, like all that's fine. Those things become a problem when they make you anxious. Dreams are not lined up with the heart of God if they make you anxious. They're not lined up with the lordship of Jesus. There, there is a degree of light that we can allow to fill our hearts that I believe that I've seen attracts resources rather than us striving to pursue them. And this isn't, this isn't an excuse for laziness. If you're listening to me and think I've given permission for laziness, you have not been paying attention. <laughs> but if you allow your eye, what he says, Matthew 6 here, your eye, your heart, your mind to become singularly focused on him, then you will inherit favor, resources, wisdom, and money. Because you become singular focused, you begin to faithfully steward what he's giving you rather than despising him for not giving you enough. By stewarding faithfully what he's given you, you begin to inherit more. You're given more, not striving for more. You're given more. It's an inheritance. You don't pursue inheritance, you just receive it. If you pursue inheritance, you'll waste it. You'll lose it. But if you pursue him, you'll inherit all that he has for you in his timing. It'll be full of joy and free from worry. And so tonight, if you're frustrated, if you're anxious, it's not that you're failing in the area of managing money well. It's that you're failing in the area of lordship. Again, our, oftentimes our goals are too small. Our goal shouldn't just be to pay off our mortgage, but to be shrewd, not dishonest, but intelligent and wise in stewarding what is, God has given us so that we can show the goodness of God to our community by way of finances, by genuinely blessing others. <clears throat> I believe that the word of faith movement was an incredible movement of God. I think it's clear in scripture that God wants his children to be healthy and God wants his children to be wealthy and God wants his children to be blessed. Do you want that for your kids? Are you a better parent than God? I think the word of faith movement was a great revelation from God, but I think the word of faith movement failed or, or got off a little bit when it became more about the resources that God would give them instead of it being about a blessing for them so that they could then bless the world. Money isn't evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a tool, a very powerful spiritual tool that can cause people to come to believe in our God. So let me ask you this question tonight. Do you love God? Do you love people? Then be faithful with your money. You want to be blessed? Hang out with kingdom people that are west. blessed. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says, you want to be wise? Then walk with those who are wise. <laughs> Not to get a handout, but to get something more valuable than a handout. To get wisdom from them. <laughs> I 
I love, uh, Tim teaches a mon- used to teach a money session at our High Point summer camp, and he would always pull out this wad of cash, and he would count out and have like $1,500 of cash just in his pocket. And I, I was always like, oh my gosh, like I can't even, I can't imagine like having that much money in my pocket. And he, he, he gave like the most simple things, like you want to know why I have this money? Because I didn't spend it. Right? He didn't buy a drink from the coffee shop every day. He didn't get a $25 haircut. He didn't spend $50 to go see a movie that he could watch at home. Ooh, stepping on toes. <laughs> Listen, we got, we got to move into a place where we're grateful for what God has given us. Where you look around and you, instead of going, I live in this gum trailer. Or you look around and go, I live in this trailer. This is amazing. This is a mansion compared to what a lot of people live in the world. <laughs> Listen, I used to live in the double wide right across the, right across the street, like looking out the door. Biggest home I'd ever lived in my whole life. Man, I was so grateful for it. I remember when we bought it, I was so thankful for it. And man, we packed it out with kids, our own kids. <laughs> Teens from our youth group, young adults. We did foster care training, and when we had another kid, they said, I'm sorry, you can't foster anymore because you don't have enough room. And so we begin to say, Lord, like, how do we get more space? Because we don't have enough, like we don't have enough to, to host the people that you've been putting into our life, God. So what can we do? Because we, like, sure we want it for us and our kids, but more importantly, we, like, we want it for your kingdom. And you know what God did? He told us to use our brains that he gave us. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> he told us to use this word that he gave us. And we begin to save and we begin to learn, and we begin to walk with the wise, and we were satisfied with what we had, and we weren't lazy, and we were diligent, and we worked hard, and man, my wife, dude, she's just, she's such a magnet for it. Money, but it's because she works her butt off. I just, I'll never forget, just like, she was trying to figure out how to make more money so that we could have more space, and she went to get a real estate license, and dude, she, for like, when we had four kids, she had a baby, she was nursing, and she would stay up till 2 and 3 a.m. every night to finish this real estate course. And she finished it in a month. That's unheard of. People don't finish that course in a month. And she works her tail off. I come home and she's got the house clean and she's so taking care of everything that she's given. And she's like, she's stewarding over the kids well and she's being a mom. And then she's coming and she's writing up contracts late at night. And listen, I'm, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say this to shame anybody, and I'm not saying this to pat, pat us on the back. She's way better than money. I was a mess when she met me. She really cleaned up my money. It was, it was bad. Um, I had a terrible credit score. I was never going to be able to buy anything in my whole life, and God sent me Sarah. Um, I'm not saying this to shame anybody, but I, I just want to show you, like, it, like, lazy hands make poverty is what Proverbs says. And, and, and some of you want to step into more, but you are clocking out before you be given permission to clock out. And some of you are resenting your job and just thinking, man, if I had another job, do you know what they're going to make you do with that job? Work. You're going to hate the job that you have now. You know what you're going to do with the next job? Make you be on time. Man, I just can't stand my boss. You know what you're going to have with the next job? A boss that's going to tell you what to do. And they're not going to ask you about how you feel about their tone when they tell you to do it. My goodness, if I cared about tone, I would have quit 10 years ago because Paul and Tim are so mean to me. I'm just kidding. 
But I'm saying like if you'll be faithful with what you have, Scripture says he will give you more. More will be given to you. Luke 6.38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. That's what Jesus says. Man, and you go on, I'm out of time, but you go on in, in, in Matthew 6 and he begins to talk about the sparrow and the, the, the birds and the flowers and all this. And, and the point is, it's like, do you think that God cares about birds? Yes, it says that he does. Do you think that God loves flowers? It says yes, that he does. And then Jesus says, well, how much more does he love you? He's going to take care of you. Why are you worried and troubled and anxious about money? Is it going to add one more moment to your life? Is it going to add one more red cent to your bank account? Come on. God, I'm going to say this tonight. God doesn't owe you your definition of a perfect life. It's so nice you got to say it twice. God doesn't owe you your definition of a perfect life. He is perfect life. Jesus is perfect life. And if you'll go after him, if you'll get singularly focused on Jesus, whatever he, like life will be awesome. And whatever he adds to it, you'll be grateful. And whatever he doesn't add to it, you'll be grateful. (laughs) If you're striving for money tonight, if you're anxious for wealth, I just want to say that wealth might be your master. And part of your heart might despise God because you don't think he cares enough for you to care for your needs. But Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, you go down to verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. What's that secret? It's Jesus. He's enough. He's enough and he always will be. If you live in the biggest house on the block or the smallest house on the block, he's enough. If you drive the Cadillac or the Pinto, he's enough, man. We find our contentment in him. And I do believe that God wants you to bless, bless you. And I do believe that he wants us to be wise with what he has given us and our resources. And we're supposed to be shrewd with those things so that we can be a blessing to the world. And listen to me, you know, if you're, if you're under 25 in here, like get you a savings account. Figure out how to, the money that you have now. Like, I, I think sometimes we can't look forward to the future, but like if you save a little bit for the next 10 years, it'll become a lot of bit. But right now it doesn't seem like a whole lot and you don't feel like you can save a whole lot, but just save a little bit each time and more importantly, tithe each time and be generous with what you have. Young people, sound like Tim. (laughs) I'm gonna switch and start going, old people, listen to me. (laughs) I'm kidding. But young people, for real, get a hold of tithing right now. If you're not generous with what you have now, you won't be generous with what you have later. Amen? Let's be wise with our money. Let's let Jesus be enough for us. Y'all stand with me. Thank you, Lord. God, we look to you tonight. Lord, teach us. Teach us how to be shrewd. Teach us how to be wise with our resources. Teach us how to use use this money that you've entrusted to us, these resources, this wealth, to build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Show us the things that you want to unlock on earth. Show us the things that you want to loose in our community. Show us, Lord, teach us how to be wise with our finances. 
Give us supernatural wisdom, God. We ask for wisdom in the area of our finances, in the area of our resources, in the area of our wealth. God, we want to be, fa- we want to be found faithful. Thank you for listening to the CMC Podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.